We wrapped up last week kind of in the middle of a thought. So we'll go back to Psalms 50:15 again. By the time we get done with this verse, it's going to be almost worn out of the Bible from reading and rereading. But I'm confident that this is one of those salient verses in the Word of God, no doubt about it. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Some of those verses in the Bible, they don't have a lot of meaning to us until God actually does something specific with them. And then all of a sudden, when God does something with them for the rest of your life, those verses stand out. There's times the Lord dealt with me about certain things. Every time I get over there, seeing, therefore, we have this ministry, we faint not. Every time I read that stuff, it brings back all the emotion and the feelings that I had when the Lord showed me those verses and said, that, you do that right there. Every time, it's all over again. You ever feel that way when you're driving along in your car and almost get killed some intersection? Every time you come by that intersection, if it was bad enough or horrific enough, thought goes back through your mind. Say, watch out now, this is dangerous. God fixed us in really unusual ways. He said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I would dearly love one time to start a series of lessons on how we're made and put together to expound on that verse so that you can actually appreciate it. But one of the things God did with us when he made us was he fixed it so our memory is reinforced by our adrenal glands. When you find yourself in a position where your adrenaline starts racing and you get into that fight or flight mode, those memories are burned into your mind forever. You never forget them. And anytime you get in a similar situation, something inside of you says, be careful. It's just the way it works. God says, okay, well, that's going to help protect you, you know. If you can't learn by somebody else's mistakes, you know, at least you can learn by your own or at least learn to be careful. Anyway, moving along here. This verse says, when you get in trouble, you call on God and he'll deliver you. Now, Becca was talking to the preacher's wife up there one time and she said, why do you think God answers prayers? Well, God wants us to be happy. <laughs> if God wanted to make us happy, don't you know he could do it? <laughs> he sure has missed a bunch of opportunities in my life. I know that if that was all he was trying to get done. There's certainly a lot more stuff going on than that. But that's just the mentality of Christians today. God wants you to be successful. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be rich. Well, he's sure doing a lousy job if that's really what he wants. Does he want to see his children suffer? Only if it benefits them. Yeah, that's it. See? You know what we look for? We look for a way out. We're not interested in benefit. We're interested in relief. But what if every time you'd ask God for something, starting from the time you got saved right up through now, every time he answered a prayer, and I don't mean the big ones, how about every time he answered a prayer, he became more important to you each time. How would you feel about him today? Well, you know that's what should happen. And you can see just how far away from that you really are. Why is that? We're easily distracted and we forget. That's part of it. Anyway, there's a woman named Amy Carmichael. I don't know if you've heard of her or not, but she was a missionary down in India for 56 years, it says here, Amy Carmichael went to South India in 1895 and remained there without a break until she entered into life January 1951. 
56 years on the mission field. Now, how do you do that without deputation, without a thousand churches supporting you and sending money? God has to take care of her. <laughs> you know what? Her heart was right there the whole time. And they wrote a book about her. And one of the comments that she made, they put in a book, it says, If I do not feel far more for the grieved Savior than for my worried self when troublesome things occur, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. If that's true, we know very little of Calvary's love, don't we? When was the last time you were really in pain and you felt more for him than you felt for yourself? That stuff gets beyond me. It does. I just realized that that's the truth. I know it's so. But how to perform like that? I haven't got it. That book goes on and says, Was this only a great woman who did a great work? The impression left by this book is rather that she was a servant of a great God. That's the way our testimony should go. When somebody says anything about bragging on us or lifting us up or applauding us, our heart and our attention should turn immediately to him. You know what it does? It wants more. I like feeling those good feelings. (laughs) Appreciate me more. Look at all I've sacrificed for you, you know. As Christians, it's supposed to go the other way around. We live so self-absorbed and so self-serving that he is only on our mind and our heart sometimes when we come to church, but always when we got a problem. (laughs) The bigger the problem, you know, the more time we spend talking to him about it. Why is that? It should not be that way. You know who you spend time with? People you love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. (laughs) Why don't we spend time with him? Because we're too self-serving. It's about us. The Laodicean church just seeks relief. That's what they're looking for. You know what we want? We want Advil. We want Tylenol. Not me. Man, I don't want that stuff. Are you kidding? I want morphine. (laughs) I don't want any pain at all. I don't want any suffering at all. But you know what we do? We got a mentality that thinks We got ourselves in trouble. If I'll be good enough, God, will you take this away? I'll be good. Don't ever do that to me. I won't ever do that again, God. (laughs) That's what we think. We think that all of this stuff that God deals with us about is all about, oh, I wasn't good enough. That isn't true at all. What the parents do with that blind man that got him in such trouble? (laughs) Now, don't give us another kid like that. We'll be good. We'll be good. You see how little we understand God? What's even worse, we don't even try. I mean, when was the last time you actually tried to figure out why God was doing what he did? Okay, God, why has this thing come upon me? Paul says, I besought the Lord thrice that this thing would be removed from me. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know what Paul's problem was? Paul's problem was he's looking in the mirror and seeing himself. He wasn't looking in the mirror and seeing something God made for a purpose and saying, Lord, you haven't taken it away three times. There must be a reason behind it. Well, I'll ask you the third time, take it away. And he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know what Paul should have done at that time? So, Lord, I don't understand it. Would you please explain that to me so I understand more about you? So that I can glorify you? (laughs) 
No, what we want is we want God to take it away. What happened to giving him glory for it when he did? I mean, he's taken away a lot of things in my life, some bad things. Well, we don't think like that. You were like the guy that pulls in the gas station, you know, and it says, check engine light. Can you turn that thing off? Yeah. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. What's the easy way? I can just cut the wire. <laughs> I can reset the little deal in there. Oh, we can fix the car and keep it from costing you something down the road big time. You know, that oil light's there for a purpose. The temperature gauge is there for a purpose. You know what they're there for? They're there for you to figure out something is wrong and then act upon it. Don't you see the parallel between God working in your life and some of the things that happen in your life and God trying to get your attention? You know what we want? Turn the oil light off, God. Why? It's bothering me. I don't like being bothered. How is it that we get complacent and bored with salvation, church and God, when all the host of heaven remain excited? How is that? How can all those hosts of heaven up there be absolutely excited and thrilled to be in his presence constantly and we're down here as part of his creation who he bought with a price and suffered to redeem us? Who, Jesus? No, both of them. You don't think that hurt the Father? Where do you think that long suffering comes from? <laughs> he never redeemed those angels or any of the rest of them. They didn't need redemption. They didn't do anything to mess up like that. So here we are down here kind of bored with the whole thing. The problem is that we're all about us and they're all about him. You know, when you get in the presence of greatness, you get so humbled that you don't even think of yourself. You know that? That's the way it really is. It's not a matter of see me, see me, see me, you know, that kind of stuff anymore. You get around somebody that's really great and all your attention is drawn right to them. And that's pretty rare to get like that, but I guarantee you, you won't have a problem when you finally see God. Let's try a little test. See if it's exciting or if it's boring, okay? Revelation 5. Now, this is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. To me, it is. We'll start in verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. And behold, I heard a voice of many angels around about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. You realize that all of these up there are thousands of thousands saying what? Verse 12, with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. You see how shallow we are? <laughs> Did you know there was no lazy people up there? Out of the thousands of thousands of thousands, there was not one of them hiding back in the back saying, Glory, honor, blessing, power. What about me? Well, when do I get in on this? No. You know why? They're looking at the one that's responsible for their existence. And he's a great God. Amen. 
He's not just a great God, he's a good God. He's a generous God, he's a merciful God. He's kind, he's compassionate, he's loving, he's long-suffering. You can't even come up with enough adjectives to describe him. Why? Because he's infinite. We can't understand him. He's out there in the realm that's beyond our comprehension. You say, will he be that way forever? No. Blessed are them that have not seen and yet believe. What's our problem? Our problem is that God's not real enough to us. Well, there's only so much room in your brain and in your mind and in your emotions. And when you take up 90% of it, there ain't much room left for God. How do we get more of him? Somebody's got to keep bragging on him. Works a lot better when you start. That's when it starts working really good. It's when you find yourself telling somebody else some of the stuff that you found out about God and you find yourself doing it because you want to. Not because you have to, not because it's duty, not because you feel better about the things you've done, just because you desire to. Let me ask you something. Have you ever enjoyed your children having fun or any of your grandchildren or somebody else's children, your nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, you know, whatever? You know why you enjoy them having a good time? Because you're emotionally connected to them. You take kids to an amusement park. You ever seen them ride around on these Mickey Mouse little goofy rides, you know? Some of them things, they're just ridiculous. But the kids have a good time in them. There was a guy out in California near Paris Hill Park there in San Bernardino. He had a little old arcade thing set up. I don't know how he got on that government property, but he did. He had some kind of a lease with him. And he ran a little amusement park on Fridays and Saturdays and Sunday, you know, and weekends and during the summer. And he had some Ferris wheels and one of them little Ferris wheels didn't get off the ground more than 10 feet. It had closed in boxes. You could barely see the kids in it. It was so safe. It couldn't poke a finger through it. And them kids would get on there and just have a blast. You think that was exciting to a parent to get in something like that? You think that'd be fun for us? You get on some of them little rides, you know, with the chains on the rockets from the 50, you know. Oh, man. (laughs) You know why the parents enjoy that and they don't get bored watching? Because they love the kids, right? What do you think the kids feel when they go to the symphony with their parents? (laughs) Think about this. You say, man, I wouldn't even like the symphony. (laughs) I guarantee you there's stuff that you do your kids don't enjoy at all. You know why they don't enjoy it? Because it's a one-way relationship with the kid. It all comes to me. They can't appreciate you enjoying yourself because there's so much about themselves, they get nothing out of your pleasure. Children of God, that's the problem. (laughs) He said, man, why can't we get beyond this stuff? Because he ain't real enough. That's why. And the more real God becomes, the more you start to understand a little bit about him and that he has feelings just like you feel. You know what this glory and honoring blessing is that he's supposed to receive? You remember what blessed is? It's happiness. He said, receive happiness. Why? Because of the things you made, (laughs) you know? Get something out of it, God. Did you know those standing in front of him can watch him be happy and just absolutely thoroughly enjoy themselves just to watch him be happy? There's so much of a kid about us with relationship to God that all we can think about is ourselves, you know. His pleasure should be more important than our own. 
But going beyond that, we should actually experience pleasure at his pleasure. You know, part of the problem, you don't even know what he actually feels pleasure at. You don't. If you realized what he actually felt pleasure at, then you'd know some of the things you do actually bring him pleasure at that moment in time. And you can just enjoy the fact that you know he's enjoying himself. You know how many people think about that verse that says, you know, there's joy in the presence of the angel over one sinner that repenteth and over 99 that need no repentance. Somebody just gets saved. Say, oh, man, look, we got somebody saved in our church. It's been months and months since somebody got saved. Boy, that's just great, you know. You know why? As you're all down here. You don't think about that stuff going on up there. The angels just carrying on. <laughs> just carrying on. We're down here saying, oh, we got one more. <laughs> oh, it's good, man. Lord gave us a soul. You know, We read these things from these missionaries. You get skeptical, don't you? <laughs> After a while in life, you get kind of skeptical. I wonder how many of them really got saved. <laughs> how many of you think got saved? I don't know. What if just one of them got saved? There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. You notice he says in the presence of the angels? Why? Who's in the presence? Receive blessing, God. You think he enjoys you bragging on him? How about bragging on him to some of his other children? Yeah. You realize how many problems of ours would be just instantly evaporated if God was bigger than our problems? We're not going to get through this day without problems. We're not going to go through next week without problems. But if your attention will start turning toward him every time that problem comes up and you start thinking, Lord, somehow you should benefit from creating me and allowing me to go through this. And if you'll help me to understand how you benefit, I'll certainly get in tune with what you're planning. I mean, I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I'm not just saying turn off the oil light. I'm trying to understand you more, God. You say, well, aren't you hurting a little bit? I'm hurting a lot sometimes. But what's that have to do with anything? I didn't make me. I'm not here for my pleasure. You go back over into verse 9 and 11. That is all about him. Every bit of that is just simply about him. You realize that we get to exist and experience everything that God has created because he made us and allows us to experience it? You know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at God's creation. My wife, you know why I get to love her? Because God made her. You know why she gets to love me? Because God made me. You say, well, that's kind of an odd way to look at things. Are you kidding? You try to tell that to Adam and Eve. He makes man out of the dust of the ground. It's just not good for man to be alone. He creates woman. He brings woman to the man. Don't you know Adam took one look at that and said, man, God, that's the best thing you made yet. Right. See, <laughs> so this is all right now. Now things are starting to get interesting, God. So you know what, God? You're pretty good, aren't you? You have no idea, son. The ones that you love, God made them. And he made them so you could love them. You don't just experience all the rest of the stuff God made and enjoy that. We have everything because of him. Everything you experience, everything that you feel, it all revolves around him. Our real problem is we only see God through faith in his word. How much faith do you have? We see him through a glass darkly. You see how all this stuff revolves back around faith? 
Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Not just relief. Lord, give me wisdom. Why? Because I need it. Give me understanding. Why? Because I need it. Give me souls, Lord. Help me with this problem over here, God. Help me to be a better witness. You realize how much of good Christian prayers are self-serving? When you actually get down to that level and you start to think in those terms, just about 98% of them are. And in fact, some people's lives, 100%, it's all about them. So how do we get beyond this? We've got to start to understand him a little bit more. We're going to have to start getting our attention off of us and onto him. And then we're going to have to start taking everything that happens in our life, every single thing, and try to understand how all of that stuff relates back to God. You say, I don't know how to do that. Well, that's the part of our Christian education that's been lacking for the most part, you know. We know more about winning souls than we know about God personally. You say, I know a lot about God. Oh, really? I don't think I've scratched the surface. I mean, he's my father. He loves me. I love him. But man, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, not even close. Never been there. Is it possible? He wouldn't have told you to do it if he didn't expect you to. Our problem is we're Laodicean church members and we're just kind of lazy and we're self-serving. We're distracted by the cares of this world. And I think one of the major distractions in life is technology. I really, really do. The reason some of those Christians back there were closer to God than we are is because they didn't have enough to distract them and they had to depend upon God more. And when their thoughts were on something, it wasn't on the movie this week or where I had to get to the store or what I was going to do about car insurance or the next hurricane coming in. It was all about just daily living and it was like a fellowship thing between them and their creator. In fact, some of those Christians probably lived a little bit like Adam and Eve did. You know, in the cool of the evening, the Lord come down, walk with them. Come down, talk to them. When was the last time God said anything to you in words? Say, never has. (laughs) He has to me. Unfortunately, very few of those times were in just talking. They were almost always about, cut that out. Witness to that one over there. <laughs> now, you better listen to this. Hey, you're back in that ground where I told you to get out of there. Remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah, Lord. <laughs> Sometimes all he has to say is, what about me? You heard about what about Bob? What about God? That's a good question for a Christian, you know. Think about it. Dwell on it. He is so great and so big and so powerful. What else do you need? We all know the answer, but that answer is not coming from here. It's coming out of here. Let's close in prayer.